Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. my pleasure to welcome you all here this morning um, here at River City. And my name is Antramika Knight. I forgot to say that. Um, here at River City, we start out each service with reading a psalm. We, the psalm comes from the lectionary that you can, you can find that online. There's churches all over the world who incorporate these psalms in their service. Um, some do it through prayer, some do it during their Bible study. Here at River City, we read it um, as part of our welcome. Today's psalm is actually very poetic. The way it is written is Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14, and it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even more, much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. If we bow our heads in prayer. God, thank you for River City. Thank you for all who are gathered here, all who are on the way, all who are traveling. May everyone feel like they have a place here at the table, Father God. May we make room for each other's love, their pain, their circumstance, their situation. May we give of ourselves, God, without concern. May we be transparent as we connect with brothers and sisters. May we share the gift that you have left for us. May we explain what salvation is well. May we point them to your heart, Father God, the bride of the church. 
thank you, Jesus, for all that you have sacrificed for us. Let us remember and let us focus on what it means to be alive in Christ, Father God. Let us join together and be a community, one that transforms, one that takes our spiritual formation seriously, one that makes sure that day after day we are living in love. All these things we ask in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. today is being made alive in Christ. And I hope you feel just a little bit quickened, a little bit more alive this morning. I do, which is a gift because sometimes I don't, right? So we're going to go into a time of prayer. Um, I had it on my heart this morning to tell you why we do this because Maybe you don't know <laughs> why we pray. Um, but at RCC, it's really important that you know the why, right? Because we're not just putting together a service where you can come and be entertained. This is not a church for the people. It's a church of the people, right? This is our community. Um, and so why do we pray? Why do we pray in community? And I think it's important to know that prayer is forming us, Right? It's doing something to us. Prayer is forming us into people whose faces are upturned to God. No matter what happens, we can do this, 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 and it forces us to do this, right? And then we see each other doing that, and there's something that does to our faith. We're being formed into people who recognize that God is greater than what we see around us, and his plan is greater than what we can understand. Prayer is forming us into people who recognize that we have been invited to participate, that there's something we can bring to the table, that we are co-laborers with Christ, and we have an invitation to participate in his bringing heaven to earth. And lastly, and this is the one that's so, feel like brings it all together, especially as we journey through 1 Peter, is prayer forms us into people of unity, people of humility, people of compassion, people of hope, people of perseverance, and people of love. What other activity does that, right? We're all of us together. Now, there, if you are not living under a rock, there's a lot of division right now. If you've been paying attention to the Kavanaugh story, I bet this room would be extremely polarized. Where other place do we find unity than in prayer, right? Because everyone comes to the table with their opinion that they feel like they could defend, that they feel like it is godly, that they feel like is just. And we could all find great evidence to support our opinion. But what one place do we kneel together before the King of Kings and say, will you be just? Will you bring peace? This is the only place, guys. It's only in corporate prayer that we all get on the same table. 
we go out of this room, we may have our opinions, but we say, God, in this Kavanaugh situation, in our country, will you be just? Will you bring peace? Because we, as the church, should be an example of unity. How can we be unified and not agree? Only through him, guys, only through him. So God, will you do something miraculous in this fractured country? Will you bring justice and peace? Because right now we're gonna lay aside our opinions and we're gonna say, show us, teach us to be discerning people. We submit our wills. We submit our opinions to the Lordship of Christ. We open our eyes and our ears to hear how you might bring peace and justice to our country, to our leaders. We pray for our president, God, that you would make him wise and just. We trust you, God. Will we get our skin in the game and pursue justice and peace? Will you make us a unified body? We pray for the unified body of Christ that is also so fractured and wounded. People come every week and tell me how they've been wounded by the church. We fight and we wield swords just like Peter and Jesus says, lay down the sword, Peter, this is not my way. Will you teach us, Jesus, as we follow you to lay down our swords? Will you rebuild the body of Christ through the power of your spirit? Will you unify us? Will you encourage every pastor today who is leading faith communities across the world in secret and in sight? Will you empower the body to be the body, the arms and legs and feet and beating heart of Christ? We pray for the welfare of the world. This is where you guys participate. What is going on in the world that you would like to intercede for? If you'll please say it out loud. God, we lift up to you these needs and those that have not been spoken out. For places in the world that are war-torn and in poverty, will you move on their behalf? We pray for the concerns of our local community in this body and in Smyrna. <clears throat> Will you move on behalf of the broken and the hopeless and teach us how to live as kingdom heralds in our community? For those in this room and in our local church body who suffer and in trouble, and for those hearts across the world who are just broken this morning, who lack hope, who lack peace. We pray for the alien and the widow and the orphan. That those who have no home would find a home in the family of God. We stand with you, Jesus, and we thank you that you, you died and you are risen. You are coming again. Because of that truth, we can declare shalom. We can live in shalom now and we can prophesy 
of shalom to come. Will you do on earth as it is in heaven? In Jesus' name we pray. So everybody's been praying for Sarah Luke for over a year, and she is a walking miracle. And anytime she's here, I let her speak to us. And there's no telling what Sarah Luke says. So what happens with Sarah Luke stays with Sarah Luke. 18 months ago, the doctor told me that I had at the most six months to live. So I want to thank... I want to thank y'all all for praying for me, and I want to thank you for your faithfulness. And, and you know, I, I didn't, sometimes I say things, I don't know if this happens to y'all or not, but I'll answer a question or say something and didn't even know that's what I felt or thought until I hear myself say it. So on the way over here, Alita asked me, what I hadn't been in so long, and there are times that I could have been here, uh, but she asked me, she asked me, um, what did I think turned this around and made me want to go? And I said, answers to prayer made me want to be where the spirit is and the spirit's there. And that's where I want to go. And that's where I want to be. So, oh my, I miss y'all. It's so good to be here. And again, thank you so much for your prayers. And I saw the, the amount of money that we still need. You know, if I'll ever die, there's going to be some added to that. But, but not, 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 near what you, not near what you need. But anyway, it'll help some. Thank you. All right. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for Sarah Luke. We're all going to pray for Sarah Luke, okay? Can we pray for you? You just stay there. We're just going to pray for you. Is that okay? Jesus, thank you for Sarah Luke and the walking testimony that she is, the encouragement, the spiritual mother she is for all of us. I pray that she would have peace, joy, and your righteousness, that you would extend the days and make them good. I pray that there would be strong relationships. I pray that you would continue to use her to speak your truth and your love to people, whether they want to hear it or not in some cases. And I pray that she would just be a blessing for others as she is to us. God, we, we love her so much. She is a gift, a huge gift. You are a gift, Sarah. And we thank you, Jesus, for her. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the book of First Peter that was written to a community of people that needed to be encouraged and comforted as they took the message of Jesus to people. I just pray that we would be inspired by it, that we would be reminded of what you did so much so that it makes us want to present you hopefully, to people who need you, people who are dead in the spirit, people who are not alive in the eternal way, that we would sing such a song of hope, speak such words of truth and encouragement and comfort that people can taste and see that you are good, that people can see by your kindness that if they turn to you, there is full redemption, there is full restoration in you, and there is life abundantly. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So just, just really quickly, we've been preaching through the book of 1 Peter, and so far we've gotten about three and a half chapters in, and we've noticed the big thing that's happening is this community is now facing the kind of persecution that no one in this room has ever had to face. And I'm, 
I know that's a broad statement, but, and I say this every week, but again, these people were killed. They lit events. They were lit on fire to light events. They were clothed in the skins of dead animals and then set loose for other animals to eat them alive as game. It was fun for the Emperor Nero to do this because he needed a scapegoat. They became the perfect scapegoat because people knew that these Christians ate the flesh of humans because they read the story of communion and started to say we were cannibals. We're not cannibals. He needed a scapegoat. People started hating Christians. They started killing them. This book was written to them so that they could be encouraged to take this message in their lives, not just in words, to a community. And so these people are being sent to different communities to take the gospel. They're being sent with the stories of Jesus that the apostles have been forming. It's not well, like we have. It's not the written word in the New Testament. They're the stories that have been built around Jesus. And they're taking these to people. And people are beginning to persecute them, kill them, hurt them. So far we've seen that women slaves have been highlighted. Not women slaves, but slaves and women have been highlighted as people Jesus would like to protect and build extra care around because he knew that they were the ones that had the most to lose in this setting. They could be killed for this, especially women, because for them to be saved meant that they now were alleging themselves with the church and Jesus, and they could be killed for that. So he spends time on it. Last week, we found out that a lot of these suffering situations are providing this platform for people begin to begin to share Jesus. So what happens is they suffer so well and so lovingly that people begin to be peculiar about it and ask, what's the reason for the hope that you have? You know, the, the passage that says, be ready to give a reason for the hope you have. And it's giving them an opportunity to say, well, the reason for this is Jesus, and this is his message. And people are beginning to take Jesus on themselves. And so in this heathenistic culture, all of these people are beginning to get saved. In Jesus, the gospel is spreading. People are being baptized. It's interesting here, it talks about baptism a little bit. There are no infant or children baptisms. All of these people that are being baptized are adults, being baptized from a culture of complete selfishness into this idea that Jesus now leads, my whole life is for them. So it's, it's very different than what we experience. But that they would be baptized meant that their life was on the line. They would now be in allegiance, right? They would pledge their, they would give their allegiance to Jesus first and foremost. And that meant that they were in trouble in their, in their nation, that they would do that first and foremost. And so that still definitely rings true for us today where we pledge our first allegiance, right? First things first, right? Kingdom first, Jesus first, the first commandment, the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, right? Honor and serve him first. He'll add all these other things to you. This idea that as Christians, we are saying Jesus will be first. And that's important because that, that then frames your whole world. It frames the way that you have kids in sports. It frames the way that you're a mom at home. It frames the way that you're a businessman. It frames the way that you have friendships. It frames the way that you do your bank account. It frames the way that you build churches. It frames everything. There's a way to frame your life without that. And that's just the societies we live in. There's a way to do it without Jesus. There's a way to even do church without Jesus. And people will be like, this is awesome. Because right? we like to build things and grow things. And But he's asking us to put Jesus first. So... Just really clearly, I wanted to talk a couple minutes about the clearest times that I've seen Jesus and I believed his message to be true. And I always believe he's pursuing us, right? Like A.W. Tozer's Pursuit of God book, which I'm sure many of you have read, this idea that we pursue God with all of us. There's this other idea that before that happens, God pursues us with all of him. And I think he's doing that all the time. 
I just think when we're the most dead or most away from him, it's most hearable. So I, I, I was going to preach this and talk about who's, who's in most need of resurrection, if not those that are dead, right? You're not preaching resurrection to people who are completely comfortable in life and feeling like they're thriving. That message rings true to people specifically who feel the most dead. And in our own lives, the times we feel the most dead or the most limited or the most away are the times that the message of Jesus seems to take root the best, at least for me. And my story is like many of your stories. It's like all of our stories. We're sinful human beings. We, out of maybe reasons we don't even understand, do things that produce bad fruit before we know Christ. We don't want to label people as bad because of that. We want to talk about the core motivators for that. For me, my selfishness stemmed from my lack of identity, my lack of understanding of who I am as a child of God, my lack of believing I had any worth. And so for me, the times where his message were the strongest, and I just need more stories. Like we're four and a half years into this. I was trying to calculate the amount of sermons I've done. It's like too many And my stories are going to be not as good as they used to be, okay? But they're my stories, and it's true to who I am. And this family, when I was a teenager, that sat across from me, right, like (coughs) returning from a drug rehabilitation camp and meeting a family, not having the ability to graduate high school anymore, but having to take a GED before college. I went to college. I'm super awesome after that, guys. Don't even worry about that. (laughs) I'm not at all. But meeting a family that treated me as one of their own. And my family was great. My family had tough things happening at that time. I was always hearing about the message of Jesus. But sometimes you need to see it from people you haven't been with for a while, right? And this family took me into their home. They taught me about Christian community. They taught me what it was to be valued before you produce for something. They told me who I was before I deserved it. When I was dead, they were speaking to that. They were speaking to the the resurrection of this possible Josh in Christ, not this actual version of Josh who was in the flesh that didn't even know how to frame that. Like the times that I felt Jesus's message came most alive in me were the times I was the farthest away. And for you, if we were to give like a service, and we're going to do this someday soon, where we just have like a testimony service, your testimonies about Jesus would mirror those places so well because the gospel of resurrection works best for those who are dead. And while we're all dead, Not all of us know that, right? And that doesn't make someone the enemy that they don't know it. And us, the champions that we do, it gives us a clear drive to speak this resurrection life to people who don't know it. So this message here, I I feel like they're asking the question, what are the limits here? Because it's getting real. We talked about this last week. When do we stop showing the love of Christ and just protect ourselves? Who is outside these lines? Who have we decided, this is this community, that we do not show the love of Christ to, that we can become vitriol, hateful, angry at? Who can we then, who can we now speak maliciously against? They have to be asking that because people are killing them. People are harming them. And for us, we do the same on a smaller scale, but they have to be asking those questions. And Jesus uses this passage, and it is a theological landmine, what I'm about to read you. There is more dialogue about this. There is more division about this. There is craziness about this. There are people who focus on the wrong portions of this. But if it shows us one thing, it shows us the depth, the height, the width, 
If you can pull up this passage, you all know this. This passage talks about how far will he go? How far will Jesus go in his pursuit of someone or something? How far will he go for you? Is there a place for you where he's like, Steve, you've, you've now gone too far, right? You have now gone too far. I will not pursue you past that. Is there that place? This passage says, may we have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Is there more to it or is that it? I think there's more to it. We got a next? That's what it says, the love of Christ. <laughs> awesome. So, so as we step into this passage, you're going to hear things about the descent into hell, which is a part of the Apostles' Creed, which we're going to say later. We're going to say that together, okay? Whether you believe the, the Apostles' Creed is literal or it's got some poetic imagery, I want you in this passage and the Apostles' Creed to get the heart of what this is saying. There's a way to pastor and preach that's so theological that you miss the heart of a comforting shepherd. So when we talk through these passages from the pulpit, it's not like sitting in a seminary, and it shouldn't be. There's a place for that. There's a place to divide the word in that way. This place is to build the body And the reason this message is written, the whole book of Peter is written, both of them, is because they're trying to bring comfort to a people who are struggling, taking Jesus, and it is hard. Does that make sense? So I'm going to read this to you. This is 1 Peter 3.17 through 4.6. So you can pull out your Bibles, you can open your phones, and I'll read it to you. And remember, we just came through the treatment of women, we came through, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you, and now we're landing on this. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, or the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which... He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God." For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties. I just love that little drinking parties. It's like sounds like somebody who's never partied wrote that. Like, <laughs> like sports games and drinking parties. So funny. It's not funny though, because this is I'm sorry drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery 
and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So, Father, I just, man, I just want you to speak through me today. If there's one sermon since I've been here that I would just like you to take over, Jesus, it would be this one. Could you just do that? I would love for your wisdom to be what comes through this. But I know that we all sit down in front of Scripture and we all have our own lens and we all think some things and we all lock into things. So in this passage, help us to receive the heart of why you wrote it to this community in such a way that the Holy Spirit will bring it to life for us and how we live in our community. Bring it to life, Holy Spirit, this living word, which is the John the Baptist that points to you We don't want to worship Scripture. We want it to inform us on how to worship you, Jesus. Today, help that to happen. Help us also to not get caught in any kind of little trap or pitfall about a side point and miss the main point here. Help it to come through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The clear and easy part of this passage is 17 and 18, which is this. You will suffer like Christ did. The tricky part for us is this, and I've thought about this a lot this week. We have not suffered like these people. For our faith, this is talking about when you step into a culture and you for Jesus are receiving kickback. There's not, I can't think of many people groups. We live in a society, thank you God, that we can at least talk about him. We're not being persecuted like this. So the closest thing, well, let me first do this. Let me tell you what suffering is not in this case. Because when we did our message together, I think I made an allusion to something that's not true. The first thing is not suffering is the idea when I sin and make a bad decision that harms others, the fruit from that is not the kind of suffering that's being talked about here. That's the kind of suffering where you're like, I did this. I shouldn't have. Julie, I'm sorry I did this, whatever it was. Please forgive me. The suffering that comes along with when we make decisions that harm others, that's not this, right? And the second thing, the suffering that happens in abuse, specifically for people being abused, God's not asking you to stay in that. Just for that to be clear, if there's verbal, mental, physical, sexual abuse happening to you, you're not to stay in it. Just to be clear, you're not to stay in it. Okay, that's not what's being said here. That's not the kind of suffering, but that's a very real thing. And especially this week when we hear about what's happening in other parts of the church in the world and what's been on all week long on our news channels, that you need to know that if that is something that you're either struggling through or happening to you, come come talk to us. We want to help you in whatever way we can, and we will, right? We will help you. That's not what this is talking about. It's not telling you to stay in that. This is talking about when you live for Christ, you will be persecuted. And the closest thing I can think to this is like, and maybe you guys can inform me, email me lovingly after this um, and inform me. The closest thing I can think of is like when we decided to be pastors, we're never going to make a lot of money, right? Maybe that's not even bad though. Like I'd rather do this a thousand times over than make more money. But, or maybe... Something like that is happening. Maybe someone saw your Christian t-shirt that we're allowed to wear and was like, no, Josh, not yay God, but boo God, right? Everybody's seen Josh's shirt, right? Maybe that happens, but legitimate Christian persecution, maybe we're working towards that. 
Maybe that's something, to me, those are the platforms in which the gospel will be heard loudest. So I do not want that for us. I don't see it a ton, but I know that it's happening. And I know that maybe you're walking through suffering because of your relationship. Maybe the suffering is you can't be with this person because they are having drinking parties, right? (laughs) Or don't know how to say things correctly. Maybe you made a decision like that for Christ. Like I did that. I did a three-year hiatus from dating. I kissed dating goodbye. (laughs) Then I kissed Sarah. Hello. Amen. Maybe, like what's, what is the true version of us being persecuted? There's spiritual warfare. That's a real thing. I can assure you that anybody that's a pastor or on a church staff is fighting spiritual warfare actively all the time. That's just a thing. That's, maybe that's it. But I do know that when that's happening, we'll have the chance to look at that and make it what our life is about, or we can look deeper than that. Because with Christ's message, he's always looking deeper. He's always looking deeper to the thing underneath. He's always looking d- deeper to the thing that's happening below whatever suffering is happening in you. And so, so he, gives them an, he, he asks them to recollect something. He tells them, you need to remember Christ who suffered for you. And what did Christ do for them? Christ died for sin. Like the whole message of the gospel, right? The just for the unjust. This is an absurd idea in this time, dying for sins that he would be stepping in to take over and take, receive the punishment for that for us. And then Christ creating an avenue for us to have a relationship with God because of this. This was the idea of what Christ, he's asking them to remember it. But the biggest thing he's asking to remember is in these situations, and this is an interesting thing, Christ is always working towards restoration. So if you find yourself in a situation where any suffering is happening, any suffering on your part, physical, in your body, relational, any of that stuff, he's going to use that in some way to bring restoration. So it's not just about a life that we avoid these tough things, but it's always in those really tough things that Christ speaks the loudest. And so for this community, they're seeing salvations left and right. People are being baptized and giving all to God. And it's happening because the message of Jesus is being presented by a group of people who is willing to suffer now for something that will pay off. And this is the idea of the two realities that we have to battle through. And this is also hard for me to even preach about to American Christians because that's what I am. But when we talk about these two realities, right? Do we really think that our reward is after this life? Do we really think that what's coming won't come now? Some of it will, like the kingdom is now, right? The already not yet tension. I get it. We walk in the kingdom now. We have full access. We are children of God. We are going to suffer. There's not a person in this room that is not going to die unless Enoch is here. Is he here? There's not a person And in that, there will be suffering. There will be relationship things that happen. There's just no way to avoid this. You are going to suffer. But what is being pointed at is what is given outside of that and deeper than that. When Christ does his salvation work, and it talks here for a second about baptism, which I'm going to get into in a minute, Christ does a deeper thing. What does it mean for him to actually save your heart? to not just save you as a person, right? What does it mean for the very depths of you to be redeemed? I don't don't know that we really fully get that. Most of us don't live that. I want to live that. 
I want him to look so deeply within me that he sees beyond all of my facades and he says, Josh, I've been trying to love this part of you, the deepest part, the part that's hidden, the part that you don't want people to see. I'm trying to go deeper than that and that is what Christ came to do. He was always fighting for this reality that lasts forever and it's always in opposition to this reality that lasts 70 to 80 years, hopefully. Like hopefully we live 70 to 80. That would be a dream, right? But we always put these two things in comparison. What's happening in these 70 years? And I thought about this too. Like I, I knew this was going to be a ramble sermon, guys. You're just going to have to go with me on it. I was sleeping the other day and I was thinking like, I was thinking about being raised in a really big church. And man, I was sitting there like, why do I always have so much to say about megachurches? Why am I such kind of like a jerk about that? It's like just being on myself like, megachurch is not the enemy. What are, but I started to think like, you know, all right, I'm just putting my mind in it. Like if I'm a megachurch pastor, like, Got a cool wardrobe, probably, right? Um, there's, nothing, there's nothing that I'm doing now that if I were a megachurch pastor, like this dream, this 70 years, if I lived to be like Dr. Walker, who was my pastor growing up, Paul Walker, and I just think he's awesome still. My family's still connected with him, just awesome. But if I lead 2,500 people, that doesn't do anything for me. When I'm passing on to the next, but then he started to say, well, what does something for you? And I really like had time with this as I was laying down. What do I want to see like with my life? If I'm going to do this, I want to see in your faces, this is more than anything, the transforming work of God happening in your soul that you are enraptured by Jesus. You are overwhelmed by the love of God and you are changed for your world. I don't care. And I do care in the flesh if we grow or not. I do. Like I think about it too much. But I don't care in the spirit. I care that you become the children of God that you are supposed to be. And if, if I lead a church this size in 70, in 70 years, I'd be like 100 and <laughs> Jesus, that would be a miracle. But to see you, right, what matters is happening underneath that. And so the restoration of the heart, that's what Sarah and I are called to. Pastoring is that. It's seeing that beneath the surface, what's going on in your actual life is what he's after. And he's not angry with you, right? He's not upset at you. This judgment that's even talked about in this passage is to share to a group of people that Peter is comforting that the things that are oppressing you, he is going to judge. He is coming to judge death. He judged death. He conquered death. He took the earth's most valuable weapon and he destroyed it, right? He was like, death is your best weapon? Watch what I do to death. Death is about to be destroyed. I'm about to let this death Take me so that I can overtake death, thus creating an avenue for us to be with him forever. It's just amazing. So the second thing, and this is a part I really want God to show my heart, is you're not going to suffer forever. If you're in suffering, you're not going to suffer forever, whether that is you're standing before the throne of God singing holy, holy, holy with all the angels and all God's people, which sounds pretty stinking amazing, actually, to being full, like we're all in harmony, everybody's... That sounds beautiful, but even before then, there's an element to this. You're not supposed to suffer forever, right? He wants to restore. His whole message is about taking the message of Jesus to a group of people to restore them, not to, not to judge people in the flesh, but to judge people in the spirit and prove them needing that Jesus would be there for them, and then to offer Jesus. And so, and the part I just want to talk about for a moment is this descent into hell, which theologically you can look it up. What's being said here? 
The word for hell is actually Hades, which for this community, Jewish community, it was like a shadowy world was everywhere. And it was where the dead lived and they couldn't escape. This is not the fiery place. One, one view is that Jesus goes to this place and begins to speak the message of the gospel to them. Another view is, and this is where it gets crazy, I'm like, all right, I need to pastor this, but he goes back to the time of Noah and his generation and preaches conviction to all the people that will be killed by the flood. Another view is that he goes back to the eight people on the boat with Noah, preaches salvation to them. Another view is that he goes down into the pit and speaks life to those. But, but here's what I think you need to get by this. There is no place that Jesus cannot go. There is no place. If you want to talk theologically about this, I'm still wrestling through, and nobody has a firm hold on exactly what that means. But if you want to talk about the message of Jesus and the people around you or even you, there is no place that he cannot reach. And I just love picturing wherever he went, Jesus actually preaching. Like, just think about Jesus preaching in the spirit world. Whether it's in Hades to the undead or whether it's over here, whether it's these eight people on boat, they're probably like, how did Jesus get here? Who is Jesus? Why is he here? Jesus preaching. This is beautiful. Because here's what I think. To the deadest of the dead, it has to be Jesus that preaches. We have to be so dead that they see Jesus. To the deadest of you, it has to be Jesus that is preaching to you, to the deadest places on this planet he is willing to go. And if, if we will be emptied enough and not have drinking parties or debauchery, which many of us don't even know what that is, if we would be emptied enough to not live like the heathens did, which is what this is written about, and serve ourselves with our everydays, this is not an indictment on people that have a drink of alcohol, just for everybody to know. I don't drink alcohol because I can't handle it. That's proven. I cannot handle it. But some people can have a glass of wine, and that's okay. This is talking about a life that's lived for yourself only. This is the society. Everything is about me, and then meeting a Jesus that says, I'm following my Father. I'm asking you to empty yourself completely and follow him as well. Your life is now not your own. And in that, you will be completely restored. That's what's being said here. So it mentions baptism and it gives us the idea of types. So much here. I'm not going to get into typology, but in the Bible, you can read a story in the Old Testament that's actually pointing to a story in the New Testament. It's called types or it's uh, called a seal and the image of a seal. Some of that is like the Passover, right? You guys have all seen the movies with Ten Commandments. Some of you older people, can I get an Amen. amen. And then some of you have seen Prince of Egypt, you millennials, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. So that's a type. That, that, that what's happening is a type of Christ's death and how his blood, like that's, you can see that in the Old Testament. This is a picture of what's coming. Noah and the flood is the same. It's a picture. This kind of coming through the death of water destroying the earth and then eight coming through representing those who know Christ in the new life now having Jesus. So this is what's being said here. A couple things about this, because this is one of those, this is a non-spiritually, but I have to, right? We're starting Alpha in January, which is like the X's and O's of what we believe in Christ. It's knowing what you think. It's being able to explain it. It's understanding it. When you said yes to Jesus, so much happened. 
So much happened other than just enjoying the moment. So much life-altering, everything is different, my whole life will be lived differently happened, and many of us don't have any idea what that is. Many of us just think that, like, I actually had a friend who shared with me once, like, the way we evaluate spiritual depth in our group is, if we can just get kids to do this, that means that they're, they're growing in the spirit. That's not true. I did this so many times, and then went to drinking parties afterwards. <laughs> like, so many times. I was so good at this. I was so good at this. What does it mean when you say, I am a Jesus follower. I've given my life to him. He is now my Lord. What does that mean? And if someone who really wanted to know who wasn't just angry at you, like, oh, yeah, well, tell me. Not that, but like the guy that's like, I just need somebody to tell me. And they walk up to you, and they're like, Sarah, just, I, I, you mentioned you're a Jesus follower. There's a different kind of hope in you. You live differently. What does it mean to be a Christian? And can we answer? Can we help someone to know how loved they are before they are lovable, to know how beautiful they are when they're ugly, to know that God has fought a fight that has already been done and it's already available and it's an offering to them. Do they know what it means to be a part of a community? Can you, can I, like, can we walk people into? Secondly, is there a desire in us to take what we have to others? And I'm not talking about the idea of like checking off how many people we have gotten saved with our track system. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, are you able, like Christ, to put on flesh, completely identify with us for 33 years, be with us, suffer with us, suffer for us, walk with us, prove to be someone we can follow, and then say yes to? Are you willing to take that message to someone who needs you? That's the message of Jesus. It's slower, it's sloppier. It doesn't look pretty. You don't have everything you need all the time. You have to rely on the Spirit, but you have to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. I want to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in me. Not only for for my sake, but for your sake. Like, you don't want to follow a guy who doesn't know how to give a reason for the hope that's in them, or a gal, or a them, or an us. So we want, and we want you guys. Here's our invitation Maybe you don't really know what happened when it happened. Maybe you were just raised in church, and that's a beautiful thing. Like, this is is a privilege that we can be raised in church for 40 years, and nobody's being killed by it, right? Like, that's a privilege. Now let's take advantage of that privilege. Now that we know that it's a privilege, let's not pretend like people across the earth aren't dying for it right now. And let's take advantage and understand why and what we believe and be ready to give a reason for the hope in a way that's so loving and so caring that we're not sugarcoating because love is not sugarcoating, right? That you can say a mean thing to someone who needs Jesus does not mean you're saying truth. That is not truth. That you can live in such a way that people see Jesus and the fragrance of your God smells good to them so much that they want to say, What's the reason for your hope? And then for you to have words. Well, the reason is this. I remember when I was seeking God and I had no idea who I was and I cried under a tree because I didn't know how to pray. This is some of my story. And I weeped because I I was raised in church and I did not know how to pray. I was confused by that. I talked to a friend at college and I said, tell me what to do. And I remember like God started putting these things in place. I didn't do any of that. That's the reason for my hope. And it does mean that I believe that Jesus Christ died once and for all for sin and that he is the only way. And I believe that I want to introduce you to him. And the way that that looks is not me telling you all the bad behaviors you have. It's me walking with you and loving you. It's me sitting with you and being with you, right? It's me giving the way that he gave. That's the 
It's the whole point of the gospel. I don't, I don't, and then just to end with this, I always look at that clock and I'm like, man, we're going to be so early. And then I get up here and I'm like, I forgot on me. <laughs> I always forget on me. But this like clever play on words at the end of this passage says, arm yourself like Christ armed himself, which is peculiar language because he didn't arm himself, right? Like, and we picture like getting a group of kids together and being like, we're going to have a fight, like pick your weapons. And like my son's definitely picking something dangerous for sure. Probably an actual weapon. He would find one. And my daughter's even like, you know, we were at a party yesterday celebrating somebody's housewarming and all the kids got around and they had like little plastic knives and stuff. And they were just like cutting each other. Like that's just what we think of with war. Like Jesus comes to that fight around all these people and he's like picking up cupcakes and people are like, what are you, Jesus, what are you doing? Arm yourself the way Jesus, tell them, arm yourself the way that Jesus armed himself would be for us to pick up weapons that people would laugh at. Because he didn't pick up weapons. He clothed himself with compassion, right? He took on flesh and died. The way that we arm ourselves, like it's, right, the gospel of retaliation. But we retaliate with, with humility. We retaliate with love. We retaliate with giving some, somebody something they don't deserve. We retaliate by being smacked in the face and not hitting back. That's our retaliation. And in that confusion, people say, what is the reason that you're this way? And then we give a reason for the hope, and we need to know what it is. So arm yourselves the way that Christ would arm himself. But be wise, right? Be wise. How did he arm himself? How are you the mouthpiece for Jesus right now? That's my goal for you guys, that we would be a people of the Spirit to speak to people's spirits because who needs to be resurrected? The dead. The dead need to be resurrected. Who actually wrote a story and lived a life about resurrecting dead people and then decided to do that? We have everything that we need. We have every key that we need. We are his people. We are being put in in our lives, in our situations, in our settings, to be this gospel representation by our lives. This is the call. I've never in my pastoring been more excited about what it means for us to take this message to them. I've never been as excited as I am now. I've never been as excited for people to meet the Jesus that that we build churches around. We probably could build a church around 80s worship. Like we'd have all kinds of people like, yeah, that's the church that does like the 80s worship. It's like so good, you know, like you would love it. Yeah, they have cupcakes and coffee and 80s worship. It's great. Like we could do that and probably get away with it, right? What if we're the church that is so alert to taking the gospel of love to people that it like reorients our whole days? Like when we're around people that don't know Jesus, instead of just trying to do what we're doing, we're actually like, at least even praying for them, like imagining them knowing you're Jesus. Like maybe that's step one. Just imagine that those people in your life know you're Jesus, right? Without becoming crazy, weird Christians that do dumb stuff. But take this message of the gospel to people. Here's what I believe about us. He has a plan. He has a story he has written for this church. I know that he has because we would not be here without it. And he wants us to be taking him to people in our lives. And what that looks like will blow them away. So we have to listen. We have to be alert. We have to understand why it is we believe what we believe. And we have to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. So today, 
If you're like these people and you're struggling with identity because suffering has been too strong, and I'm just speaking directly to somebody who is in suffering, any kind of suffering right now, and you begin to question your God. Why would you allow this to happen? I just want you to pray that he would show you why he's got you where he's got you. What is it that he's speaking to you? For those of you who have no idea how to explain what it is you believe, hear him asking you, come away with me, spend time with me, learn about me, jump into Alpha when they start it for sure. For those needing restoration, there is a person or two in here who has already labeled themselves as being too far from Christ. You feel like you have been told things that proves that what your beliefs about you were means that Christ will not pursue you. I have something to tell you about how he went to hell and preached there. You are not there. So you're kind of on the way there. So you might make a pit stop and be like, oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you this. All of this is for you. So, Father, I pray that every person in here right now, in Jesus' name, that feels too far, feels unlovable, feels already convicted, that they would see your pursuit of them clearly as a child of God through whom baptism brought you into a new family because they fellowship with you in, in your suffering, they died with you, and now there's a new life in you. And it's abundant. And the kind of life that you give brings peace when there's no peace. It helps us to have a different way to live in a society that is at odds with one another. It helps us to not fight with brother and sister. Create awe, God, through the way that we love. Thank you for visiting hell and then sitting at the right hand of the Father, showing us that there really is no place that you can't get to. It's limitless. Erase our lines for the people we've decided they're beyond because not even you did that, so we shouldn't do that. So I'm just going to pray this, um, this lastly. I just have this picture kind of in my mind of somebody's heart being worked on right now. That through the Spirit of God, who comes in to convict, who sometimes is dangerous because it challenges us, sometimes it comforts us so well that it loves us. But I see the Spirit of God reaching into hearts right now and reforming the very core of you. You can't even put it into words. You wouldn't know how. We pray for the gift, God, of new life in you, for the gift of faith, for us to be alive in the spirit and dead in the flesh, for us to think about eternity over now. We thank you for your love, God, that permeates all. Could you, Bill, could you bring up Ephesians again? And you can just keep your eyes closed. I'm just gonna speak this over you. And you guys can stand to your feet Probably open your eyes to do that. I'm just going to speak this to you, and I'm going to personalize it. So just close your eyes, maybe bow your heads. This is for you. May you have strength 
to comprehend along with everyone else in this room what the breadth, how wide it is that he loves. You can't see from side to side how broad it is. The length, there's no time frame that he doesn't surpass. From now until the end of your life, from now from the beginning, the length of any time his love can swallow it up. The height, anything that is massively towering in your mind that you cannot see beyond, anything that is right there that seems immovable, painful, he sees beyond it. It is not high enough. The love of Christ is larger. It is taller. It is bigger. And the depth, and this is where I want to land, to the deepest part of your being, to the deepest sadnesses, to the deepest rejections, to the deepest hates, to the deepest self-pity, to the deepest depressions, to the deepest identity, to the deepest, deepest, deepest part of you, he is underneath it. His love consumes it. He is limitless. There's no bound. There's no construct. There's no framework that he doesn't absorb. He created the idea of a framework. He is bigger. So hand everything over. Jesus, we give you everything. And for these next few moments, we just want to celebrate that together. If you want to stay in this space, we ask for you to create an help create an atmosphere where we can just be together for a moment. Prayer teams, you can go ahead and come up. I just felt led to pray us out this morning. So let me send you. God, let us recognize that we are part of the greater story, the larger project of your healing and restoring all things. Let us not become whitewashed tombs, people of shallow faith and unconcerned hearts. This week, empower us to become active participants in your redemption of all things. Let us join you in the work of rescuing people from the corruption and decay of our current world, living in the prophetic now and not yet of a new heaven and new earth. Let whatever we do, cooking and typing, and cleaning and eating and sleeping, painting and singing and writing, preaching and teaching and meeting, working for justice, meeting the needs of the needy, loving our neighbor as, our, as ourself. Let all of it be done as ways to create shalom and beauty in the current world. And most of all, let it be done for the glory of God and for the building of God's kingdom. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.